Hello, girls, boys, and everyone in between. I'm Scarlett. I'm Roxy. And I'm Marjorie. And we are the Red Resistance Podcast. Before we get started, a little light housekeeping. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. It helps us get a little higher up on the podcast food chain, but also, we just really like to know how we're doing. Headpats make us very giddy. Also, please check out our Patreon. Patreon is essentially an online tip jar. You have the option of making a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustaining donor of varying tiers. There, you will have access to cut content, ridiculous outtakes from those days where our deviations are too precious to delete, and early episode releases. We know times are tough. They are for us, too. But if you're lucky enough to have a little to spare, throw some at us on Patreon. It helps keep the lights on and the Hulu subscription running. Find us on patreon.com slash the Red Resistance or search on Patreon for the Red Resistance podcast. We appreciate it so very much. Finally, be aware that there will be spoilers from the book, future episodes of the show, and potential tie-ins to the book's sequel, The Testaments. They are not detailed and serve to further the analysis of the show. It will be okay. I promise. So with that, grab the beverage of your choice and let us commence dissecting our favorite dystopian TV show. Well, welcome back. We are here to cover the back half of season five, episode six, together. And we start off with a new scene back at the cages with June and Luke, our favorite couple in our favorite place. Who doesn't love June and Luke in a cage? I don't even know what I'm saying right now. I don't know. We're either. just fucking going with it. I don't know. But speaking of back half, <laughs> Luke makes quite a few innuendos about June's bootay. <gasps> I love this conversation. This <laughs> was so much like a normal mm-hmm. conversation. Like my husband and I would absolutely be like having mm-hmm. this conversation, except like he would be with an added like, hey, your tits look great today, babe. Like it would be like that. Yeah. Like, but I understood all of this. It was that goofy, let's talk shit for the sake of talking shit because we're comfortable with each other. Yes. And it, it, this was that exact moment that I've been hoping for all season and last season as well, where Luke and June finally learn how to communicate with one another and learn to, learn to love and appreciate and be relaxed with each other as they presently are. Mm -hmm. Like, this was just absolute perfection. Like, Luke saying, like, how's your butt? June saying, it looks good. And then being cheeky with each other. No No pun pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) And Luke saying, you're lucky that there's a cage and armed guards. And like, do you think this place is available on Airbnb? Industrial loft look? Yeah. Everything about it felt so casual and comfortable and showed a true affection for each other Mm -hmm. and and a playfulness that we haven't had a chance to see in ages. And it was so refreshing. They're being so cute. Yeah. I mean, even like when the armed guards came back in and Luke just goes, "Hmm, housekeeping. Yeah, right. It was that little bit of levity that we needed. Yes. Which sucks considering what came after. I know. I know. So swiftly Mm -hmm. on the heels of levity, we have police brutality. Mm-hmm. When the guards come in, they come in fast and furious. They figure, fingerprint June and they're like, yeah, we're going to take you back to Gilead. But then she starts name dropping and she name drops commanders Lawrence and Blaine and they back off immediately. And 
that to me was the most important part. Everything could have stopped right there because they were pretty much like hands off, you know, at, at that point, you know. Um, and I know that Luke was really, really incensed about the way that she was being treated, but this is like so light in, con- mm-hmm. in consideration to the fact of like what she's already been through. Um, it's still all new for him and he still feels like he's got to say his piece so that like he is defending her in some way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we know that Luke does have a bit of fight to him and we know that he is still in the, the infantile stages of harnessing that rage and understanding how to work with it. We see it in the back of the, uh, the van or the truck when they're moving to this dilapidated abandoned facility. And we see it here. And June says, Luke, don't fight them. And like, and he does anyway. And he disregards that. And like, you know that like there's that fire and that passion in him to fight. But maybe just take the sage advice of the person who's been in these situations, quote, a few times. And listen and trust your wife and your partner that it's not a good idea to fight them. I mean, I understand wanting to. And I understand. Yeah having that inherent need to, but you are one single person who is in a decrepit situation who has been presumably malnourished for at least a day going against what, four armed guards? Mm. June understands that June understands that this is not a good position to be in. And I applaud Luke for his fight here, but also just listen to June in this moment, please. Work as a team in this exact moment. That's all that you need to do is work as a team and collaborate with each other. And when one of your teammates says to not fight them and they are experienced in that position, please do. And this is a moment that Luke shows his naivety. I think it's it shows his lack of restraint. This was a particularly difficult scene, a scene to watch, though, because as Scarlett pointed out, This is police brutality. And we are watching a black man being choked out by armored guards. And we know that Luke survives. Mm -hmm. If they are going to if they're going to stay true to at least an essence of what happens in the testaments, we know that the end game is that both of the daughters are going to be greeted by both of their fathers and their mother. But this is still brutal to watch. But in Gilead as elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Because we've seen this before, but they're putting on an extremely up-close view of it. And it was hard to watch, but it's no harder than any other video of police brutality that we've seen up close before. How many more do you need to see to, like, really get the point? You know what I mean? One is enough. Yeah. And if one doesn't do the trick, then no amount will. And June's standing by, helpless to do anything, but she's saying what we're all thinking, which is, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I think that's kind of all on our minds when we see these types of things played out again and again and again, whether it's in this show or whether it's in yet another example of extreme police brutality resulting in, you know, some sort of horrific outcome. We're like used to it. But behind that, you always have to ask, what the fuck is wrong with the people that are perpetrating this? Where's their restraint? It's interesting, too, that you're... I agree with you. It's in your face in this scene here. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about it in last in the last episode. And I'm trying to remember all the instances that I've thought about because there's several. And 
I really want to go back and rewatch the season and even the series watching just specifically Luke because I think I'm, I've just started picking up on something that might be happening. It's definitely happening this season. And mm-hmm. this episode, it's in your face, like you're saying, um, of what they're doing here with it. We've seen this imagery before, right? But I think it's been happening all season, and it might have been happening from the beginning of the series. But in last episode, I think, um, when they find when they meet Jaden in the woods, um, June just kind of walks up to the gun, right? And we talked a lot about how that's just June, but Luke puts his hands up. And yeah, that is that's a reaction that. that a black man who grew up in America, like Luke has mm-hmm. would have versus white June, who obviously in the show, there's a reason, you know, just in terms of their experiences. Um, but it made me think I'm wondering because Ju- Luke is uh, is he white specifically in the book or just not mentioned? I don't as think it's race? mentioned. Okay. I don't remember. Um, not, yeah, so not, I'm just wondering not. if when because Luke is black in the show, if since the beginning they've been framing his perspective as a black man because it's very evident in season five Uh, but june's white privilege so like the fact that he um is so insistent on like the legal route right mm -hmm. that's someone who has to go the legal route because he can't afford to step out of line Mm -hmm. the way that june would um but he's married to june you know and so i'm just i i've just started me i started thinking about it last episode and i really want to think about it more before i try to talk about it more on this episode but there is a lot of imagery going on with Luke this season. Um, there's the hands up. It's like the whole, like, he has to stay in line. He can't step out of line. He has to stay the legal route or he's. it's just going to cut. You know, it's just like it's it's his instinct. In the a repercussions way that it's, for him are going to be much greater than they would be for June. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's just if that would make sense if that's Luke's instinct naturally just because he's a black man in America who's now in Canada. That's the yeah. reason he needs to be constantly worried about the ramifications of his actions and of his words. Um, and in this moment and in this instance, in this scene, if he is conscious, if he is making the decisions he's making, cognitively aware of what his actions could possibly render, yes. he's doing that conscionably. Like he's resisting authority. He's resisting, uh, resisting effectively arrest by people that have guns and can very easily kill him. So it does sort of bring everything that you're bringing up to a head. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is something that we definitely need to explore, but I'm sorry, you had a thinky thought. Um, it's the, uh, the big one that jumps out at me is the fact that he's so restrained, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't get to ever show his rage. And it's like it's he's used to having to restrain that rage mm-hmm. far longer than June ever had to. Yes. June had to learn that in Gilead. Mm-hmm. But that's something that Luke's probably had to learn his whole life. Almost, that, that yeah. learned his much earlier in his life, you know? Yeah. And this is something that we being three white women mm-hmm. can only talk about. Um, we can only talk about, like, our own personal experience and what we've talked about with others as our experience. But from all of the experiences of uh, of colleagues that I've spoken to, and I'm sure you two can commiserate with this, as white women, if we're angry, we're angry white women. Fine. People can roll their eyes at us. Yeah. An angry white woman, I'm mean, sorry, an angry black woman is dangerous. An angry black man is dangerous. And there is that inherent danger um, that of the perceived, uh, there's an inherent perceived threat mm-hmm. from white society of an angry black individual within that society. So exactly to your point, Marjorie, Lucas had to practice that restraint 
um, when he has been in these sort of situations specifically because he would be considered a threat otherwise. So it does bring it mm. a bit more relevant. You can see how it's baked in to yeah. these, just the interactions and in mm -hmm. just this one scene. And I wonder if that's an intention, uh, intentional on the writer's part or if that's because OT bringing that to this specific character. Yeah, maybe. You know, going out of this scene, I really thought he was dying. I thought when things started going out of focus and dark, I thought that's mm -hmm. where we were headed. And I was like, no fucking way. Are no. we really going there? No, we know he survives. Yeah, but we, we don't, do. Though. But we don't. Well, we don't. Well, we don't. Go At any point, they could totally change it because they could. Because we already we've already talked about it in this episode. Lydia is different. And if Judd is Larry, it's different. And so, the, I mean, Luke is barely mentioned in the testament so to kill him off could totally be a thing you know what i mean like like i there was a point when i thought jude was gonna die and i was like oh fuck like right. i'm telling you i feel like they could change anything at any point just to say fuck you so that's fair <laughs> do we want a new scene yeah let's head to joey yeah we've got j-lo putnam nick having a drink of bourbon and the uh, double-sided barbs are flying in all directions. I love it. Um, Larry apparently thinks that Putnam is going to be able to single-handedly repopulate <laughs> the planet, all the lols. Um, and then Putnam's like, yeah, but you know what? Your new Bethlehem, new Bethlehem idea kind of sucks. I mean, it's cool, but is it what's best for Gilead? Not no. likely. What he's really saying is, is it best for me? Probably not, Larry. Probably We're not, not going with like it. it. And then Nick and Larry come to a, kind of like a conclusion together that, you know, it's good for young Nick to learn when you've been outplayed. Yeah. Isn't that just lovely? Love Nick's little uh, retort of, I certainly have learned a lot from both of you. Something I would like, speaking of Nick, I'd love to point out that while... Um, while Joey was talking about Putnam's quick and impulsive act. <laughs> they cut to a moment where Nick, looking obviously repulsed, is standing in front of a mirror and looking at almost a, like a reflection of himself. And you see Putnam like slurking, just like lurking about in the background. And I thought that that was so wonderful because we've talked before. I know Marjorie took an aggressive rabbit hole about mirrors in season mm -hmm. three, um, which was so good. And like, we have been seeing like little glip uh, glimpses of that. But in this moment, you see Nick looking in the mirror and realizing like what side of the Gilead factions he wants to be on. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a really nice moment of metaphorical, completely silent character development in that exact moment. That's really cool. Yeah, Nick's character development has been really, I mean, his character in general is a man of few words. I feel like this season he is a man of even fewer words. But big leaps happening in his life and in his perspective about how he's going to operate. And I guess he's gotten a healthy dose of don't be like this fucking guy, Putnam. Yeah. Putnam, don't be a bull in the field. Putnam is like, I, you know, I didn't do this with the thought of a baby. So this is just like a bonus. That's what he sums it up as. Which means he was effectively raping her as a sign of power, not purely for the notion of actually garnering a child. So completely anti-Gilead. Mm -hmm. But also exactly what we've come to exactly expect. Exactly what from, we've come to yes. expect. Yep. And Larry's retort to that is, I always took you as more of a Jezebel's man and less of a quickie behind a desk 
after a funeral, man. and or Before Put- a funeral. Before a funeral. And then Putnam is like, I'm surprised you can imagine either. And this is the constant exhaustive back and forth of these two. Like, why are you even hanging out right now? Who the, what the fuck is the draw here? Who is bringing you together? (laughs) Is it Nick? Is, did Nick be like, hey guys, do you want to come over Lawrence's house and not, and, and not be comfortable with each other for like a few hours over bourbon? I'm sure that'll end well. Right. But instead, it's going to end in Putnam being snarky about Lawrence's lack of children and lack thereof of trying. Wonderful. Wonderful for a man who quite literally raped a handmaid to be judging anyone. But I suppose uh, I suppose a certain amount of piety is expected of men in these uh, in these elevated roles. There's that Gilead hypocrisy we all know and love. Oh, it's our favorite. I mean, Putnam comes out and says it. He says, I just wonder if you never allow yourself the spoils of your position. Then what's the point of having it? And that's where we go to the mirror. And there's nothing said. Yeah. Perhaps some people choose to uh, to pursue positions of power, in a case like Putnam, to be able to enjoy the spoils of it. Perhaps some do it, as we see Nick later on saying, to ensure the most positive outcome for the uh, their circumstances and those that are surrounding them. And perhaps there are some, like Joey Lawrence, that's still trying to figure that shit out and, like, has an ideology to it and isn't worried about the uh, the, uh, the minutia. Definitely not. He's just like, how can I turn this shit show around? I created this shit show. Mm-hmm. I need to not go down in history to be known as the man that created the shit show. <laughs> so now, enough of Putnam, Nick, and Larry. We're going to cut. To Serena being escorted to Wheeler's office by creepy Ezra. You've had enough of the three amigos? I have had plenty. I'm good. I want to go visit Fred of the North. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I want to go visit Fred of the North. Marjorie. First of all, on the way to Fred of the North's office, that painting, the three women. Hanging, like, I, over to the right. Did yes. you get a look at that? Did, did. you figure out what that was? No, but I did see it, and I did try it's to figure creepy, it right? out. I even tried to Google it to see if I could, like, find the image anywhere. But um, it just looks like it looks like they're in wives' dresses. Mm-hmm. And it looks like, at first I was like, are their hands tied? And then I was like, I think they're carrying, like, water baskets. Or, like, it looks like they're wearing baskets. Their on arms there. are up above, yeah. right? It looks mm-hmm. like they're... Like, they have baskets. Like, I was trying to see if there was a basket on their head. It almost looked like three women with, like, water baskets yeah. of some yeah. sort. But it definitely looked like three Gilead wives. That, yeah, that, that makes sense. I knew for sure. Right. Or at least three Gilead Marthas, because, you know, the wives aren't doing anything like I that. I thought it was no. blue, but I, I could have just been wrong about nah, that. I think yeah. it was all black. Okay. Yeah. As Serena goes in, and we have fireplace scotch and a meeting. Mm-hmm. And um, Serena mentions the conversation that she had with his wife earlier, and he definitely doesn't fucking care about that. And that is definitely shades of, um, like, future Testaments husband shit. I remember in the Testaments, I think that's what struck me, is there was such a serious divide between anything having to do with husbands and wives. Like, the two things were, like, not enmeshed mm-hmm. at all. And that was, like, very, very clear. Especially how Agnes would talk about how her dad and how you never went in the office. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's still that kind of vibe. He doesn't give a flying fuck about anything having to do with her and his wife. And did you notice that there is that ocean painting yes. above them again? What's up with that? Did you notice that, Roxy? Yeah. did notice that. And for me, that ocean painting was... um. 
from what I could from what I could see was um sort of a metaphor of like the rockiness and like the tides coming and coming in and out and shifting. Yeah. Um I didn't spend a lot of time focusing on it because I was so focused on Serena and I thought that she had asked for this meeting. Hmm. So in my head I was like, Serena, what are you doing? <laughs> um so I didn't spend a ton of time focusing on it. Did you have any thoughts on it though? Uh, somebody has thoughts on them. Want to hear them? Because they're good. You got yes, Marjorie. Uh, yeah, I have them, but they're not my thoughts. They're Kat's thoughts from Patreon. Okay. Because um, we had talked about this yes. painting in an earlier episode. And it's. I thought we were, like, kind of dancing around it. So when I saw her comment, I was like, oh, yeah, we kind of, like, didn't mention it. And I listened to the episode, and I'm like, oh, my God, we didn't say it at all. But the imagery is spot on. It's um from the episode where Serena goes back to her mother's house. In, uh, is it season three? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you even, we were talking about it in that episode about Serena's mother and it fits so perfectly, but like that was just Serena's most turbulent time that we've seen is when she went back to her mother's Mm -hmm. house and then we get to see like where she came from and it stayed with us that long of like every time we'd see Serena now you can't get away from remembering who her mother was and how awful she was. And it's the same imagery. Those, those ocean waves just look like the turbulent waves of wherever they were on the cape or wherever. Okay. Cat, well done. Yeah. Thank you so much for plucking that out of the ether for us. Mm-hmm. Thank so you, I think Kat. it just is like, you know, red flags for Serena. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not safe here. Turbulent seas. Turbulent okay, because we keep seeing that painting. Yeah. I think this is the third time I've mentioned this specific mm-hmm. type of oceany painting. Yeah, absolutely. The first time I saw it, I thought it was the sky. And then I was like watching it again. I was like, that's definitely ocean waves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do think that part of it for I at least for me personally, I'm used to seeing a lot of these sort of like ocean oceanic um like turbulent like boats in the tides. So like for me, it almost becomes part of like the background mm-hmm. as it should be. But because yeah. I'm a New Englander, Southern mm-hmm. New England life, man, it is what it is. Yeah. Um. So for me, I see I, I'm at the point now that I see those sort of paintings, and I'm just like, this is part of the zeitgeist as opposed to part of like something yeah. more meaningful and metaphorical. Yeah. So I'm glad that I'm um, glad that you guys pulled that out and I'm really glad for you said it was Kat that pulled that. Thanks Kat. Excellent. Um what really drew my eye more than that painting though was the flickering flame, the fireplace between them. So you have Wheeler on one side, Serena on the other, this raging inferno of a fireplace between them and Every time that Wheeler was talking, the reflection of the light flashing upon, uh, flashing on him and cutting to Serena. And you had that same light and that same fire flashing, but a different mood to it entirely. It wasn't that um, vibe of seduction Correct. that we saw mm-hmm. with Fred and June. Mm-hmm. This was business. There was no seduction happening here. I don't see that coming from wheeler at all like he doesn't to me he does not have a fred vibe in the in like the way that he wants serena i don't i didn't get that i bet you all. differ and i feel like marjorie because i didn't yeah. see that i, I thought didn't it was i mean maybe, north. i thought it was very freddy so i no, like i got everything except the attraction maybe not the specifically the attraction yeah but for sure getting off on the, I have two women who I get to control in my house. Mm-hmm. And I can choose when I want to make them happen. And exactly. Yes. I have the control to give them what they want or not. And that is what he was getting off yeah. on. Mm-hmm. I don't get, I mean, it, like not in the same, like he's not Putnam. 
No. But I do think he's Fred, but I do think that it was it was more sexual with Fred. I'm not getting like massive sexual vibes. I hear what yeah. you're saying. Um, but I'd still think that it was so Fred like in the way he was like like I even think in the beginning when he when she sits like, Oh, is this about, you know, the conversation I have with your wife or whatever mm. she says and he's like I, he laughs like I don't know I thought it was even even that was like him being like coy about it like oh no 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 that's that's between <laughs> no, you but not, also like but also like he he loved that this was now her concern of like are you gonna yell at me for this and mm. oh no no I'm not gonna yell at you for this that's okay I yes. don't care if you mm. made my wife upset yeah and it's the same game that Fred played with June all the time it's mm-hmm. power it's all about power yeah. exactly and to go even further, I agree with Marjorie entirely on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like Serena was trying to mentally seduce him a bit as well. Yes. By the fact that she was luring him into, like, I want to go with Ezra. I want to bear witness. She's taken so much. I need to, uh, she's taken so much from me. I need to see it. And I need to, I need to be able to tell my son that I know what happened to his father's murderer. And all of this, for as gory and graphic as it is, is seduction. Yeah. It, yeah. She is seducing the, the permission from yeah. Wheeler. Yes. Yeah. Yep. 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 And that's what we've seen June do is that yes. that mental game of what do I have to do to convince him to give me what I want? Mm-hmm. Like from the beginning, that's always what she's had to figure out yeah. in this study is he's bringing me here for some reason. I have to give him what he wants so then I can get what I want. And that's exactly what it is. It is Fred and June in the study. You know, it's almost more trepidatious, though, because June in her time with Fred and Serena, she had more time to cultivate that relationship. Yeah. Serena is going in blind to this and trying to make the same appeals to emotion mm-hmm. that June was, but without any rapport. Oh, but right. what she what she lacks in rapport, she has 10 times over in leverage in yeah. that baby that is just hanging out in her womb. She is the harbinger of life, and that gives her so much more leverage. But, well, hold on. But, like, June was too, though. When she was trying to make those placations to Fred about, hey, I'm just saying, I think your wife might be a little psycho. That was the, that was dangling the carrot of it. Okay. It was the possibility, whereas Serena is the very real actualization of it. Mm -hmm. And I think for, I'm still trying to get, exactly a feel for what uh, Wheeler's doing, what Mm -hmm. his ultimate play is. But at the end of the day, he's got to be just vying for commander of the North. Like, that is what's happening (laughs) here. He's He's commander of the North. That's just what it is. Like, he's clearly just trying to figure out either, A, how to defect to Gilead, Mm -hmm. and then be powerful when he gets there, or to turn Canada into it. And he's got the doctor with the Martha already and these people that are, like, fishing people out of the Mm -hmm. border and sending them back to Gilead. So he's, like, in favor with the Gilead commanders there. Mm -hmm. And then he's got Serena. And we've talked about why Gilead wanted to get rid of her. And then he scoops her up and however he did. And, like, yes, like, Ezra was the the messenger and the nick of the situation, Mm -hmm. but he's delivering it to Wheeler. And I don't know if Wheeler's answering to anyone. It doesn't feel like it. Mm -hmm. It it feels like he's just you know how Fred was like a group of guys like this is like I feel like Wheeler's just a group of guys and uh, he's he's just to me in the scene it is absolutely the study and it is absolutely that he sees Serena as I I don't even know if he necessarily cares about the baby as much as he cares about the power the same way 
Putnam cares about the power. Yes. He's just not as pervy about it as Putnam. Instead, he just wants Serena because she she's a pawn. She's yeah. mm-hmm. she's valuable. She's special. There you go, Serena. She is special. Chestnut checkers. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's good at that. So good. <laughs> also, I so appreciate in this scene, um, Ivan Strahovski's facial acting. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic because you see in equal measure the anger, the frustration, the elation that June has been captured, as well as the realization that Wheeler will have, I will have Ezra absolutely decimate June. And because now Serena understands what June has been going to, which, side note, little sidebar here, Serena's getting a glimpse of it. She has no concept of what it's like to be physically raped when she is in her third trimester to try to uh, to try to elicit a birthing yep. or any of the other atrocities that June's had to go to. But for Serena, she's seen enough that she can understand and start to commiserate with what June has gone through and really is starting to get it. So you see like both this hatred and this gratification that June has been captured as well as the acknowledgement that all that June has been trying to do has been fight has been to fight for her children's safety and for her own. And Serena's now starting to come to grasp with that. And you see it all over her face is this beautiful balance between like between flickering evil and compassion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And she elicits that compassion from Wheeler by basically begging to be present. Mm-hmm. You know, she wants to go. She says, I need to go. Bear witness. She's taken so much from me. I need to see it. I need to see the end. I want to tell my son that I know what's happened to his father's killer and that she's gone from the earth. That is a really convincing speech. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. It's it is. perfect because yeah. and that's why I think it's so smart what she does because you're right. She doesn't have time to get to know him the way that June, you know, got to at least have a little bit of a feel for Fred. Mm-hmm. Um and she makes the perfect plea because mm-hmm. it's what I was saying earlier of like I can't figure out like if he's trying to marry her off to his buddy or if he's in like get favor that way um by like bringing the doctor in and like agreeing to um you know, set them up or whatever Mm. was happening there. Or if he wants her as his own handmaid with these two women in his house. And it doesn't matter what it is because her answer works for both. Like she, because she really, really needs to set herself as the grieving widow and not the unfit single mother who's trying to be passed off to a new man. And so this sounds like a grieving widow who needs, she will not be able to move on and marry anyone until she has Mm -hmm. this closure. So I need to see this and then I can move on. But right now I I need, this is still on her yeah. conscience, you know. And the bear witness is such a Gilead term. They like that. Yeah, they, they do really like do that. like people to bear witness and mm-hmm. to love this like bloodlust. Like that's mm. definitely a thing in the testaments. Own mm-hmm. it. Yeah. In this one instance, yeah. not all of them. So. Yeah. And in this moment right here was when I um I put in parentheses. Well, now I'm actually holding out hope for Serena. I think this is the part where maybe we're supposed to. <laughs> yes, they they paint it and they allude to it as such. Because you can't not see her as June. 
in this situation. So it's like she sees it. We know Serena sees it. And yes. we can't. I mean, they are just slapping us in the face with this entire season of Serena just slowly seeping into the hands made, handmade position and watching it. And it's like it's everything I thought I would enjoy. But Scarlett pointed yeah. out to me, it's the just kind of the humanity of the situation of not wanting to see someone um be dehumanized, which That's the is point of the it. crux of it. Yes. Um, and then on top of that, it's already, we already know how horrible it is. We've seen five seasons of this, so it's the, it, there's no leap in our minds to figure out what Serena's going through. It's just, yeah. and it's not fun to watch her because we know what she's mm -hmm. going through. We've already watched June yeah. do it. You know what I mean? Like, like her watching her break down in that bedroom, it's, it was suffocating to me. I felt like I couldn't breathe. And it, it, I wanted to, again, enjoy this of like, she's finally sitting in this and you just can't. No. It's not. It's meant to be enjoyable. But that's what's wonderful about this specific episode as its own bottle episode mm -hmm. is that this is the culmination of everything that we have talked about. So For, many things. So many things. Years of talking about how much we would love to see Serena become a handmaid. The whole shebang. How we'd love to see her married off to someone else and have no sovereignty. And now that it's coming to fruition in this episode, there's no joy or pleasure to be taken from it at all. In fact, the only pleasure that is taken, at least for me, comes at the tail end. Yeah, because in general, it sucks to see somebody hurting and it sucks to see somebody being trapped and have their autonomy taken away from them. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you get past that. And I guess that's where you have that weird in-between time that I keep talking about of like the between the Handmaid's Tale and the Testaments or at mm -hmm. least the hand or maybe before Handmaid's Tale. Mm -hmm to Handmaid's Tales. Like, how do you get to the point where you can just push aside that humanity right. for the sake of getting business done? And when you get stuck in all that sticky humanity, that's when you start to falter and you can't be as terrible, terrible a person as you want to be. Uh, but that's the case always, isn't it? I guess. I guess. In Gilead as elsewhere. Yeah. Next scene? Sure. Well, next scene, Luke is sleeping, and I'm sh pretty sure that it's not great that he is sleeping for the con concussion that he is bound to have, but yeah. whatever, he wakes up and he's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, they talk, and she's so apologetic. She has all the guilt, all of the guilt for letting him come because she knew. She knew all along what what was going to happen here, and she blames herself saying she let him come and she shouldn't have. And that she didn't know how bad it could be. but. Luke, to his credit, takes ownership of his decision and says, I decided to be here. I decided that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad she got to hear that, too, because she, I feel like this um, apology to Luke was a long time coming and, a, and meant for a lot more people than just Luke. Yes. Because she's just, ne we don't get to see her say sorry to the people that have died along the way. And We've t she's carried so much guilt from so many decisions she's made along in order to get to Canada to survive to get out mm -hmm. to do all these things, and we've talked a lot about how this guilt is gonna weigh on her. And so for this opportunity to at least be able to get it off her conscience, and then for him to be able to be like, it's not on you. That's got to just it's got to do something for her. She needs some absolution. Yeah. I think she feels inherently responsible for everything. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is what she, what was she going to do to stop him from coming across the border? Right. Probably nothing. Nothing. Not when you dangle that carrot of info about Hannah in front of him. I mean, June has been placed within 
reaching distance or at least been able to actually hold Hannah. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that Luke has gotten a taste of what it's like to be close to his daughter. And there was no way he was going to let that go. I think even if she said no, I don't let you go, he'd be like, fuck you, I'm going anyway. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to see that part because that's yeah. not how it turned out. Yeah. Because why bother? Why mm-hmm. make that kind of conflict? Mm-hmm. And June, to her credit, is so strong throughout this interaction. But I do love how they allowed us to see a bit of her weakness coming through. So um, after um, after Luke said, I decided to be here, um, and the guards start walking through, and Luke picks himself up and turns to watch where the, uh, where the uh, guardians are going, June allows herself to be shaky and trembly. And they keep cutting back to her in this moment. And you can see, like, the little wisps of her hair quivering. And this is such a perfect example of how wonderful of an actor Elizabeth Moss is. But she's mm-hmm. quaking at this moment. And her entire the composition of her face changes because there is genuine fear here. And the sort of genuine fear that we haven't seen from, um, from June's character— in quite some time, but I think that she understands at this moment the gravity of this could potentially be the last time that she has a peaceful conversation with her husband. Yeah. But she puts on the facade of we're going to do this again and we're going to keep doing this. And she has to continue to be the face of hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I love that she doesn't allow herself to show to break in front of Luke because she knows if she breaks in front of Luke, that Luke will break as well. Mm hmm. Yeah, and that like that gentle tremor when Luke is uh, is surveying the guards, and they cut back to her laying on the floor, and she's just just this the subtle shake is so well done, and she's like, "You listen to me, no matter what happens. I never gave up. I gave up hope, and you never gave up hope because we just knew, we knew, and we're just gonna do that again, right? Yep, that's it. Yeah." We're just going to do that again mm-hmm. and again because that's how you stay alive. Yeah. Because that's the only thing that you have left when you're in that situation. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that she knows, too. Like, we talked about how she knows all the all the experiences that she's been through up to this point of the boxes and the torture. But mm. she knows how to keep the hope alive, too. That That has always been the underlying theme of all of these seasons is survive, yes, and then find a way to... I mean, I guess I'm trying to think of another word other than hope, but it, it's just hope. <laughs> I don't really yeah. think there's another word word that's going to encapsulate what she means. But it, it that's what it is. You just, there's the survival and at the rock bottom, finding hope anywhere you can. And the person that's way better at that than June is Janine. Yeah. So it did make me just God, think right? of Janine a little bit of like, June in the sense, I don't think this is always June's best wheelhouse. This is Janine of like really finding, thing. yeah, at rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a in a cage. We're about to, you know, Luke just laid it out for her. We're about to be executed. We're going back to Gilead. They're going to kill us. And she's like, look, the flower. You know? Yeah, you need found it. hope in the fucking colonies. Exactly. I mean. That's true. If ever the optimist. Mm-hmm. It is nice to know that. All right, that's, um, I hadn't even considered that, but that is a really good point. Um, June and Janine um, in the last season were so instrumental to each other's um, survival and both physically and mentally. And it's nice to see that June has picked up a bit of that optimism from Janine. Weird concept. And I think that she, excuse me, 
it to me it felt like she was on her mind um because of when the the apology to Luke because I think that's the apology she wants to give to Janine too yeah because Janine didn't make it out of Gilead when she joined June on you know what I mean like mm-hmm. like June hasn't had any closure with Janine yet mm-hmm. and I feel like this might be the closest closure she's going to get is saying this to Luke. Yeah. I mean, at this juncture, June doesn't even know that Janine is alive. No, she knows she's a right? handmaid. She does know that? Does she? I thought Larry told her. I don't remember that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Larry okay. told her on the phone call. Nor do I, but I'm going to um, trust you on this like, Yeah, don't worry. You're, you're, I don't remember. I don't want to quote what he said, but I swear he said something. And she was like, I was like, oh, damn it. That's the last thing she needs to know. I could be wrong, but I thought, I thought so. No, I'm going to trust you on that, Marjorie. No, don't trust me on anything at this point. In any event, should we cut back to the Wheeler's house? Yeah. Everything from here on out kind of happens at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, Serena is finally escorted out of the fucking house by Alanis, who tells her that her ass needs to come home at the slightest discomfort. And, yeah. Oh, it's not just you need to come home. It's if you feel even the slightest discomfort, Ezra will bring you back immediately. And Serena says... Oh, I know. And if that's not a glaring hint that Serena is going to utilize this to her advantage. I mean, there's only so many softballs that you can lob us at this juncture. But again, it just screams Serena has done this to June of like June gets to go go somewhere. I forget the instance exactly, but I know there was a time when Fred lets June leave and Serena Mm -hmm. is all sorts of worked up over like either. It must have been before she had... um, Nicole. It's when, yes, it's when Serena goes to Canada. She doesn't want to leave okay. June again because she had just got back. This runaway handmaid oh, keeps yeah. coming back. She's pregnant. She's in her third trimester. I don't want to miss this. And he's like, I need you to go be the strong Gilead wife and like put this face on. And here we are. She's still putting this fucking face on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the scene that it reminds me of because she didn't. It's the same thing. It's just, again, it, every single scene with this crazy lady is Serena on steroids. <laughs> I mean, well, she does get in the car, except now she seems to be having a little more than slight discomfort. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, she's not coughing up that info, and I don't believe, I don't blame <laughs> no, her. Of course not. But then immediately after, we have a new scene where June has walked out, and she is separated from Luke again. <sighs> Together, my ass. I know, and that's why I'm like, <laughs> they gave us that one nice scene where I'm like, oh, this is funny. This feels so nice. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, she's getting like that absolution. Everything feels good. I'm like, this is together. They are together. And then I'm like, until they're not. No, until they they pack her into a bus and they drive away and the bus has a giant X on the top of it. Bus has an X on the top of it. And Luke is uh, is legal, so they don't want him. So none of this is ideal. None of this ideal. But her monologue, though, applies to basically everyone here on out through the episode. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She says... No matter how many times you've thought about your own death, I don't think it happens the way you expect. There's always a curveball, some strategy you didn't think through. An enemy you didn't see in time, no matter what you do. The end is always a surprise. Yeah, so much surprise coming in this because, I mean, I know that we're not to the Naomi part quite yet because we cut immediately back to Serena in discomfort. But then, immediately back in Gilead, here's somebody else that didn't see his end coming. (laughs) And what 
this fucking scene was delicious. It's, it, it, uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. It was like, this is the most delicious it. brunch I think I've ever been a participant of. Best fucking brunch oh, I've had in years. Oh, I don't know about so you. Wow. I mean, I dig it. I, Delectable. All of it. It is so fantastic. Naomi and Warren are having brunch in front of all the country club folks. I mean, the setting is perfect. It's yeah. pristine and pure and the rich people are <sighs> dining on a lazy, it feels like a Sunday afternoon. It does. Um, and Putnam isn't well, Naomi is looking around and she notices that people keep looking at them. And why is everyone looking at us know, so right? innocently? Which is bizarre to say of Naomi. I know, huh? Um, and he's well, like, you see what they there's what? um uh, as they pan the room, uh-huh. there's a black commander and his black wife. Oh, and they are also side eyeing Naomi. And I'm like. After that last episode, we know it must be killing her that they are side-eyeing her. And that's why yeah. she's like, why are oh, they looking at me? That. Yeah. yeah, that jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. Well, I love how when Putnam says, like, oh, I'm sure word has gotten around. And Naomi looks at him like, why? What did you do? And the word now is missing from the end of that yes. sentence. Like, we're all thinking it. She's thinking yeah. it. She doesn't say it. But we know it's supposed mm-hmm. to be there. Uh-huh. And Putnam is like, something you will be thanking me for. And he is so cocky and smug even when the eyes walk right in and let and literally grab him out of breakfast Mm -hmm. it pissed me off so much that he still wouldn't tell her what did you do she's literally asking the entire room is staring at her she's the only one that doesn't know the news and he still is like he'll thank me oh my god i I cannot. It's just it's eye rollingly bad, but it's also like it's exactly what you would expect because Putnam doesn't respect he doesn't respect Naomi enough to give her any sort of like knowledge whatsoever. It stands to reason he respects no one or anything other than his own position and his own faculties. Mm Mm-hmm. I, he barely respected any man. I don't think he, I don't uh, think he yeah, respected no, anybody. He respects no. his dick. That's about it. I'm <laughs> oh pretty sure God. that's where exactly. his respect ends. Ugh. Well, mercifully, go to town. Well, speaking of dick, we have the most epic dick swinging that has ever happened oh, in the history so good. of TV right here. I mean... All of their peers are watching. He is grabbed and escorted out before all... Everybody that they have to deal with, this is this in itself is humiliating. Even if they didn't get to the part where Putnam gets plugged in the head. I am sorry. This being paraded out of brunch in front of the whole ass country club, this is like devastating. And if Putnam lived, I can only fucking imagine what Naomi's recovery would be like through this whole situation. That would be an episode in itself. Please. We saw what happened last time he embarrassed her. She got his arm cut off. Right? Oh, yeah. If if Nick didn't kill him, Naomi would have. What's going to get cut off next? She is ruthless. 100%. Yes. But he gets thrown on the ground in front of Larry and Putnam and a handful of eyes. In front of Larry and Nick. I'm sorry. Fuck. Yes, thank you. In front of Larry and Nick. And fucking words. And Nick says, the High Court of Gilead in a special overnight session has found you, Commander Putnam, guilty of apostasy and sins of the flesh. And Putnam is like, get the fuck out of here. Come on, what did I do? Like, whatever. He tries to get up and he gets pushed right back down. And Larry says... The rape of unassigned property. 
because there's always a loophole. And who doesn't love a loophole? I mean, lawyers love loopholes. Well, Putnam is like, this is where the real Putnam comes out. Mm -hmm. Because he's like, she is my handmaid. She belongs to me. Mm -hmm. And he has never looked so sinister to me. He looks fucking scary in this. And he looks every bit like the old pedophile man that you want to see put down. Like, nobody's going to argue with what just happened here. Like, literally nowhere. Like, he's gross. Larry has his speech. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Keep watch on the wicked and the good. This is Proverbs um, chapter 15, verse 3, if anybody was interested. And Putnam tries to use the old, but I've got a baby on the way. Kablooey. Yeah. Those words are so odd coming out of his mouth anyway. I'm like, please. Yeah. Like, you gave a shit about I know. any baby. You just no. figured that out like five minutes ago. Right? Exactly. He cares about this child because of status only, not because of any sort of actual sentimental attachment or value to it. Uh, because, again, this is the child of rape. Mm-hmm. And because he's a pedophile. Yeah. This is a chance we'll have more. Wait, is that what you just said? Uh, this is the child of rape. So the rapist and uh, it's the child, uh, and he's a pedophile. So both. You caught me repeating what you just yeah. said. It caught up to me. A few seconds later. (laughs) But this is straight up how you get the testaments. Putnam was purged in front of everyone. And we can see how we're going to go have this, like, odd alliance between Lydia and Lawrence Mm -hmm. and how he's, like, basically sets the tone for Gilead from here on out Mm -hmm. in one swift motion. This is how you do it. This is how you make a point. In the one place where everybody is going to be on a Sunday morning. Brunch. It's like, it it was like he dropped a nuke in the middle of Gilead and was like, this is how it's going to be. Dropped a sloppy poached egg in the middle of all of it. Like, you you can't, like, you gotta, you know, if you're going to fucking talk this talk, then guess what? You're going to have to walk this walk. Mm -hmm. Or this is what's going to happen. And something so gorgeously done about this shot as well is that as soon as Nick pulled the trigger on that gun, Mm. it was silence. Other than crows. You heard crows screeching in the background. But Naomi's pleas and screams were met with silence. Putnam's body hitting the floor, the splatter, everything about it was silence, except for the crows in the background. Now, what what happens to Naomi? This is what's killing me. Yes! I want to know. Fuck fuck Putnam. I know. I am all about Naomi. I'm like, I want to know. Because this is like, she's in a very similar position to Serena. Serena, except she's actually in Gilead. Mm -hmm. Right. And her husband apparently wasn't a traitor, but he's not (laughs) any more savory than Fred was. Like, So what happens to her? And especially after the last episode where you see Naomi and, um, and Serena going through like the beginnings of Gilead together and ascribing to the notion of like, I wouldn't want a, a handmaid. This sounds terrible. And then Serena um, talking with Lydia and being like, oh, Mrs. Putnam told me this was a very like seamless and painless process. So like they're very much on the same trajectory here. Whatever happens with this, I just want ever carotene to stick around in whatever capacity yes. she's going to be around. Like I don't want her to go away. Mm-hmm. I mean, Steve Nutson loved you. Thank you so much. Am I saying his name right? Anybody want to check? I, I may <laughs> cut this because I, I appreciate the fact that he took on this role for fucking five seasons. Mm-hmm. And, and it was almost like a, a I don't know. You, you almost didn't come to hate him real bad. 
until like five seasons in. I mean, yeah, yeah. he was fucking slimy, but he just the focus wasn't enough on him and his hypocrisy enough until like this season. And then you're like, oh, yeah, he's another one that needs to be plucked out just like Fred. I'd politely disagree because we have talked at great length about how just grimy he was towards Janine. And how oh, well, he utilized yeah, it. Definitely, but like I forgot about him for a few seasons because just the focus wasn't there. Yeah, because we weren't seeing, we never saw the ceremony. We've only, we, it was all like off camera. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so, just like, uh, just like Esther's rape. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And yeah. Um, and he, I feel like he was more of a joke. I always thought he was just, yeah. he wasn't to be taken seriously. He was as creepy as the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, he, this was the first season where I was like, he is ominous and terrifying. You know what I love, though, um, before they killed him, is when they pushed him down onto his knees outside like that, he felt to me like how Esther looked. Oh, let me try that again. He looked as small as Esther did oh, and as yes. vulnerable as Esther did in that den. The, Before he gave uh, her the study. chocolates. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Because yep. remember we were talking about like how small she looked as she was paraded in there yeah. with everyone, all those men standing around her. And so when they pushed him down onto his knees and there was just a circle of men around him, I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. And mm-hmm. and it was a gun that was being, you know, shoved at him instead of yeah. a piece Eventually, of chocolate. They took that yeah. gun out of it. Yes. That yes. was the end of it. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah. Well, in a beautiful juxtaposition of the blood splatter on Nick's face, we then cut to Rose at home. Who is pregnant, apparently. But we'll get there. I know, we'll but I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, wait, what? No, man, he does like to procreate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to unpack with this scene, and it's such a be- it's such a subtle and beautiful scene. Um, so Nick walks through the door and asks, are you okay? And she says, not really. And just with these four words, you understand that these two respect each other. They are communicating properly. This is more communication than we get from most commanders and wives in that Nick is actually genuinely asking, are you okay? He can tell that something's off with her and she is open and candid enough to say, not really. And I appreciate this because, like, in their in the Gilead way, they are being as candid as we can expect. Um, and he says, what's wrong? And she says, you already know. And I'm worried about the kind of person that this makes you. And Nick whispers it back. Mm. And something about this conversation feels so raw and genuine, like, throughout. It feels... It's a conversation of two people that genuinely have a sort of respect and appreciation for each other. Because he then says, after whispering it back and and sitting there next to her, that it makes him the kind of person who will do whatever it takes to make sure that Gilead Gilead is safer for their child. Hmm. And she rubs her belly. And she's also skeptical. (laughs) Well, yes. Are you sure that's who you did this for? But I am kind of like, whoa, hold up. Nick's having a baby with Rose and she's like giving him the moral. Is this really is this really who you are and who we are kind of speech? Are you the type of man I'm having a baby with right now? I think I read the scene differently. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. The color was shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so 
to me, I I wasn't getting the like this is. I mean, I guess in the sense of like Gilead, it's it's good communication. All I got from this scene was a when Rose isn't walking around as and is instead sitting there pregnant. She seems younger to me. I'm like, I don't know why I thought she was so much older with I the cane. I thought she was too because I'm yeah. looking at her in this scene well, and I'm like, she's pretty young because the what this feels like to me is uh, Nick's better attempt at married his marriage with Eden. Yeah. That, that that there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of like respect or love or anything other than like he looks at her like to me because at first I was like what's happening you know like we haven't had a lot to go off with this and this is the first scene where I'm like oh that's what's happening he I feel like he feels guilty for everything that happened with Eden because he did, wasn't a very good Gilead husband and mm-hmm. I get that he didn't really want to be this child's husband but given the circumstances he didn't do a good job and so this time he goes and gets married for whatever the circumstances are that he decides to marry and I'm assuming he had a, more of a choice this time right but she she has to get whether he was I mean, he he must have been trying to get her pregnant because he didn't want to have any part of getting Eden pregnant, right? Yeah. And that was all she cared about. And that's important in this world. Mm-hmm. It's very high. It was highlighted with Putnam. He is very important solely because he can get people pregnant, right? And so Nick goes and can get someone pregnant. We, we know that. And so it does. Her survival rate is better if mm. she's pregnant, right? Yeah. And his too. That's going to be better for both of them to be living in Gilead to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. So he's doing his like duty. Remember? And he's like, I have different duties now. Like he did need to get her pregnant because he can. It helps his station. It's going to help hers for whatever reason they decided to get together. And maybe they do just like each other. But I just feel like it's more of like him just looking at her and being like, I'm going to try to have a conversation with you this time. Like, because it kind of feels like a, for fuck's sake, I I guess I'm going to explain this to you since you're asking me what kind of person I am. Like, really? And I just feel like he's, he learned from Eden. So he's trying to give her the time of day more so here of like, I have things I'm doing because he is, he is plotting away with Putnam, uh, with Larry and for this whole Putnam thing. And it goes back to the Putnam like scene, right? Of the overnight emergency session mm-hmm. again nick is shrouded in this like i question mark cloud of now he was an i now he's a commander so does that mean he's like commander i because we've seen his price like that whole putnam at execution had price written all over it more so than larry right. like larry was saying the words but that was price's words that was price's ideology mm-hmm. and that's nick nick knows that nick knows how to survive and how to come up in that yeah. and so i feel like nick had his hands all over that to begin with and now he's like they jump to the scene and I don't know. I just, it just screams to me. He was trying to do better this time than he did by Eden. Yeah. And he still is just like, if you could just trust me and stop asking me so many questions and stop trying to like worry about my immortal soul, my mortal soul, I always say immortal, you know, and just let me fucking try to survive in this world that we've got. Cause we got a kid coming in, yeah. you know, but I didn't get like a whole lot of like, this is, like a great relationship other than like oh, he's just trying to survive they like each other I don't think they dislike each other I I would I hear where you're coming from with this and I appreciate your point of view with it I and I see entirely where you are oh hello playing footsies with your knee um I think for me where I keep going back or what I kept going back to as far as the two of them respecting and appreciating each other is the phone call that Nick and June had where when June said, well, would I like her? And Nick goes, 
Yeah. Yeah, I think you would. And that is a way of us hearing that Nick likes her too. If June would have liked her, well, then Nick likes her. And if Nick likes her, then we should like her too. And I think that this is a better in the absence of best sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's an ideal pairing. I don't think they're head over heels and passionately, madly in love with each other. But I think that there is a a respect there and a playfulness there. Like we've talked about it before as well, as far as Edith like being like, oh, it was love at third mutually, uh, or a third mutually attended gala. Yeah. Um, and she's a bit more tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. Wrote, uh, she's also aware of June's existence and she's aware of Nick's involvement with June, even at present day. Um, and that sort of level of respect doesn't often, ex- uh, doesn't, I mean, it rarely exists in Gilead unless there is a mutual trust there. And I think from that trust could potentially harbinger a positive relationship. Do I think it's love? No, we've seen nothing to indicate that. The space on, on the couch between the two of them at the end of this scene is enough to that indicate. Was That's what yeah. it was. I kept going back because we see a hand shot later. We see a couple shots of holding hands. And I yes. was like, oh, and then we got the holding hand shot of Nick and Rose yeah. on the couch. And every time I go back, I'm like, wait, they don't actually hold hands. They she don't puts her hand on her stomach and he puts his hand on the couch and they don't ever touch each other. I think that's what made me start mm-hmm. to be like, what is happening here? Yeah. There's lack of intimacy in that exact scene. But we've seen in previous episodes and in this episode that they are willing to be a bit more, they're willing to let their guard down with each other a little bit more, which for a for a fresh young relationship in Gilead is not nothing. Yeah. And you have to frame it within the reference of being within Gilead. This isn't a notion of like June and Luke getting to relearn each other in a free, a relatively free Canada. This is two people that are in highly trepidatious situations. We already know that Rose has connections to, uh, to Mackenzie. So she needs to watch her step at every measure. Nick, whether he is a commander or an I or whatever his like, wherever he lands in the hierarchy, they're both walking a tightrope and they have... I feel at the very least found some sense of camaraderie with one another, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I agree so, with all that. So, I like, think, yeah. I, I agree entirely that there is a lack of intimacy there, for sure. Like, there was no sort of cozying up. There was no hand-holding. There was not, like, very clearly on separate sides of that settee at the end mm. of this scene. But by the way that they were talking with one another, it did feel as though we could get to that point of trust. And Nick saying he had other duties and, like, it does feel like he is sort of throwing his weight a little bit more behind this. And if he is going to survive in, in the world of Gilead, he knows he has to do what he ha- whatever he can to put on the best facade, if nothing else. And if, and if that's the case, at least he's found someone who he has as a proper comrade for it. Yeah. He's got a good teammate to play the game. Yeah. That's, that's all the game. Thank you for, sum- for, uh, for summarizing that. <laughs> <laughs> So, new scene. Our buddy Putnam is getting hauled up on the wall. So sad. And all the handmaids are staring up at him, as we've seen handmaids do so many times. And Lydia says, Take a good look, girls. In Gilead, there are consequences for disobeying God. Mm -hmm. You are holy vessels, and by his word you will be protected. Honor God, and in return you will be honored. Commander Putnam was an evil man who took advantage of his position. This was justice. Janine is just like, 
Fuck yeah, it was. No, actually, she says, I wish I could have watched. Yeah. This must have been a really big deal for Janine. Yeah. Yeah. Vindication of sorts. Because when, right before um, Aunt Lydia says he took advantage of his position, Janine looks up and for a brief moment, it almost looks as though there's a like a glimpse of, of uh, sympathy to him. But then her face hardens and she starts, like when uh, Lydia says he took advantage of his position, she like nods ever so gently. I think she's really starting to absorb at this moment that this man was a predator. Yeah. And it wasn't just her. She was not, it wasn't just her and he didn't love her. It was a predator situation. And I think she is starting to come to grasp with that by the fact that she does, um, when um, when Aunt Lydia says that it was justice, Janine starts to nod a little bit more enthusiastically and her there's anger and a vitriol in her eyes that is unmistakable and like the I wish I could have watched. And Lydia doesn't correct her or stifle her. Right. No, she lets her have it. Uh-huh. Which is a much more compassionate side of uh, Aunt Lydia, which she has promised to show us. But, whew, how wonderful. How wonderful for Janine and how long overdue. Yeah. I think that, I mean, we've talked about this before. I feel like Janine had, like, she saw Putnam for what he was. I feel like I saw that same flicker in her eyes, and I feel like it was different for Janine, um, just because, like, she's always the flower in the colonies girl. Like, it, like even though I think she saw um, Putnam for the predator he was at this point, like, prior to, at least by the season, um, I think that it was a surprise for even her a little bit to feel good watching his dead body up on that wall. Mm -hmm. And then I think hearing Lydia say this is justice and her nodding of like, yeah, "Yeah, this is justice. This is, there, there is nothing wrong with seeing this right here. Yeah. Agreed entirely. She hangs back a minute to look. She does. She does. She lingers. How gratifying that must've been for her at that moment though, to have come to that realization after hearing Aunt Lydia's words. And as much as we want to fault Aunt Lydia, this is a moment where Aunt Lydia did right by Janine. Yeah. By giving Janine that moment of the public shaming mm-hmm. of Putnam and everything that he did to Janine and Esther and anyone else that came before or after, um, or would have come after, rather. I think this was a nice gift of Aunt Lydia. Um, and... Janine lingering back and Aunt Lydia not hearkening on her and Aunt Lydia not harping on Janine for speaking. This is this is a nice moment for both of them. Janine gets the gratification of seeing her violator hanging on the wall. And Aunt Lydia gets to see a bit of the rewards of being a more compassionate human being towards these women that she's part of imprisoning. Yeah. It cost her nothing to not be a fucking bitch. Huh. That's literally it. Co- it. Literally, it cost- Lydia, sometimes you just got to shut the fuck up. It costs nothing to be nice. <laughs> yeah. But this is the scene that I, I loved her delivery because it's different. This mm-hmm. is just, we've heard so much bombastic Lydia. Yeah. That's so preachy. And this was still her quoting Bible verses and it just wasn't preachy. It was comforting. Mm-hmm. It was calming and reassuring. It was a completely different vibe. So yeah. really, really cool. It's weird what happens when you cherry pick other things from the Bible. <laughs> huh. Wait, you mean you can cherry pick 
like the compassionate, kind parts of the Bible. I know, weird. Well, I thought we were just cherry picking like the the patriarchal rapey parts. Aren't those the, the parts that we're supposed to focus on? I mean, Scarlett, I mean, I, I'm a weak-minded lady with like gentle lady brains, I'm, so I don't know. I need a man to tell me. My little lady brains can't figure this out. I'm not sure. Are there any like symbols that you can show me <laughs> instead? I'll draw. We should draw pictures, but should that might be friends? really close to actual writing. So we should probably have Mr. Scarlet come in and draw those for us. Probably for the best. Can we play um, handmaid's pictograms one of these days? <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna make that game. <laughs> we are. Shall we? New scene? Yeah. No. 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 Okay. No. <gasps> um, I loved the end of the scene. Lydia marches off with all her girls following behind her, and she says, we're going to go home now for warm milk. Yeah. Ah, that is Lydia of the Testament. Yeah, she yeah. loves herself some warm milk. <laughs> That's so true. Happy. Even if you're lactose intolerant, she <laughs> wants you to have warm milk. That's a good point, she yes. She wants to be comforting now, and she thinks warm milk is comforting, and she just ushers them all away and they follow like, follow like baby ducks. So that going to be her like thing. It. It's going like, to be her thing. That's going to be her thing in the Testaments. Warm when milk. we see her in the Testaments, instead of offering people shots of whiskey, she's going to give them shots of warm yeah. milk. Oh, Calm God. down, dear. Tell me all about your rapist so I can report him and <laughs> use it to my advantage later. Yes. Yeah. Very good pickup Are on that. Are you sure though. you didn't do anything unwittingly to invite his attentions? Probably. <laughs> Sip up, sweetie. Okay, we can new scene now. Let's new scene it too. The bus that's bringing all of these... Uh, these attempted refugees back to Gilead. Except for one, of course. <laughs> because the, the bus comes to a screeching halt. And who boards the bus but Ezra? And saying that he has special um, permission from Commander... Did he say Commander Wheeler? Or did Commander he, Wheeler, I think he said. Commander Wheeler, interesting. Did he say Commander Wheeler? I missed that. Well, he said yeah. he said Wheeler. I wasn't sure if he said Commander or Mr. Wheeler, but I'm pretty sure he, is, he said Commander. Oh. Yeah. Um, for a one June Osborne, and exactly as you pointed out earlier, Marjorie, it's always June Osborne. It's never June. It's never Ms. Osborne. It's never Offred. It's always June Osborne. Um, so she is unlocked, and as she's escorted to the front of the bus, Ezra looked almost slightly sympathetic in this moment. He didn't look vindictive. He didn't look angry. He just there was something about his face that was almost more morose. I thought I know what you mean because I was yeah. like, "What is happening on his face?" I thought I I know I was trying to read it and I don't know. I I agree. There was it did feel a little like flustered slash sad. Like he kind of entered that bus and was like, and then saw her. I don't know. I don't know what was happening either. <laughs> the best thing I can figure is that he saw her face and saw the June Osborne, this person yeah. who has become so vilified by Gilead, and saw her as. A five foot two petite woman, yeah, covered in dirt, who had very clearly been abu- I have been abused, crying, emotionally distraught, strapped into a bus, and he was like, "This, this is public enemy number one. This is the person who we are trying to fight so vehemently against. Is this one woman who looks like she's at the end of her rope?" And I do like, I did kind of feel for Ezra in this moment because there. Usually with these uh, with these commanders or these eyes or like any of these guardians, if they show no emotion, we see them as showing no emotion. But something about Ezra felt forlorn here. Yeah, I agree. It did yeah. feel forlorn. Yeah. Um, you know what it made me think of? The only thing that I could really pick up on with that is that um, June 
we talked about it like in the beginning of the episode with um when she's like recognizing that the smell is different in the truck. Mm-hmm. She's um she's been so conditioned to be observant. And now this bus that is supposed to be taking her back to Gilead is stopping and taking just her off. And like I was just trying to think of like what she's got to be thinking in that situation. And I just enjoyed watching her watch Ezra. So I'm looking at his mm-hmm. face and I'm like, I, I know did. this dude way more than she does. And I don't know what that look on his right. face is. And I'm like, I'm confused by it. And then I'm like, well, she must be confused by it. Like this is the, like, and then they, they cut back to her and I'm like, oh, she really is like just entirely trying to size up the situation. And she quickly asked him as soon as she gets off, um, you know, like, who are you? Where are you from? Like whatever she asked him. Yeah. But it did also jump out at me that it's the end of season one and also like the end of The Handmaid's Tale, the book, as she gets off that bus. And mm-hmm. for a moment, it's like, what? where is she stepping? Is he, is he good? Is he bad? There is that like question mark of like, mm-hmm. what is happening on his face and what are his intentions? And maybe his intentions are different. Maybe we've been reading Ezra wrong all this time. And it's right. like, there is this big question mark as she steps off. And it did feel like uh, the end of season one. Yes, I thought that exact same thing as well. And then, like, tied back to um, how we've had a lot of it, uh, things equating back to season three here, mm-hmm. as well as season one, and then jumping forward into the Testaments. Mm-hmm. So it absolutely rang true to that. So, Marjorie, I'm so happy that we're on the, we're on the same wavelength with that. <gasps> What's happening? Clutch your pearls. <laughs> <laughs> we've had a riff in the t- uh, space-time continuum. Um, I loved this shot, by the way. When the bus pulls away and you have June and Ezra facing in one direction and you have Serena looming in the background uh-huh. and June doesn't even need to see Serena. She can, she can feel her it. presence looming. Yep, you can tell. And, you know, I feel like that is a situation where we have seen in, like, countless other TV shows, movies, mm-hmm. where the person who like the the protagonist is expecting or fearing or whatever just happens to be behind them mm-hmm. like and then we and it's always a close up shot and this was from far away and i thought that was really fucking awesome but then when they zoom in on june's face and she's like are you fucking <laughs> serious like jesus could we just not but this was another lincoln memorial standoff yeah for the two of yeah. them yeah. and it was far more emotional but ex- way less intense. Like, the Lincoln Memorial, it was the face-off with the two of them, yeah. not expecting each other, and they're just screaming at each other. And in this, there's much more emotion, but it felt more restrained. They're tired. Yeah, they're I exhausted. they're both fucking yeah. tired yeah. of each other's bullshits. And now they have to just take it one step further because mm-hmm. yeah. apparently yeah. now we're supposed to kill June. Yeah. And right. neither of them can fucking believe that they're actually doing this again. Like right. Serena almost feels half-hearted like about it, you know? Mm-hmm. But then we find out why she's half-hearted about it. Mm-hmm. Serena uh, requests to Ezra to cut her bindings. And at this moment, like she, Serena grasps her stomach. It's like, oh, and I actually was like, is she going to fake labor here? Is she going to fake labor? Because we've already had um, Alanis allude to the fact that if she yeah. feels a pain at all, Ezra will drop everything. And I was like, oh, is she going to fake labor? So that way Ezra swoops her up, brings her back into the car, and just leaves June high and dry in the middle of no man's land. Fend for yourself, sis. See, I didn't think she was faking it at that point because I remember in the car when she was doing that, like, clutchy, like, 
uh, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I was like, oh, is she really going to do this right now? Right. Mm-hmm. She's going to do this right now. She's going to do this right now. Of course she's going to do this right now. Of course she's going to do this right now. Not that like she has any labor. control over <laughs> right, it, but right, still. Right, right. But it's going to be like birthing Nicole. Yes. That's what it's going to be. Um, but I was like, oh, she's going to use the utilize this labor as a means of, um, of coercion. And then I was like, and I started to think back to episode one of season five when Serena asked to see Fred's body mm. and she asked which finger um, June had mailed. Yeah. And they had focused on her missing um, her missing pinky. And I think at that moment, Serena was looking for compassion and she was hoping that if June had sent the missing pinky, mm. it would have been a signal to, uh, to Serena that like June understood that Fred was also like Fred was not just trying to control June, but was also controlling Serena and was domineering over everything. But that June sent his ring finger back. Serena understood at that moment that June did not mentally separate Fred and Serena. So I think in that moment in uh, when Serena had asked which finger she sent and had that moment of brightness on her face, she was looking for a bit of camaraderie from June. Mm. And when she didn't get it, she went back to her usual ways. But in this moment right here, mm-hmm. she has an opportunity for that camaraderie. And she takes it. And like, I can't believe I'm giving Serena the benefit of the doubt here. But it was a com- like the culmination of this when she's like, she asks Ezra to cut her bindings. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to fake labor. And then she begs Ezra to let her shoot June. And she takes control of the situation. And instead of killing June, she shoots Ezra. Mm-hmm. It was an, it was for like a nice culmination moment for Serena, finally understanding all of the struggles that June has gone through. And I feel like her shooting Ezra was like a, yeah, I fucking get it. This is a shit situation. You didn't deserve this. Let's figure this out. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to end terribly for both of us. But... We'll do the best that we can. And, like, I really genuinely, like, in this exact moment was so aggressively thinking back to that episode where Serena just, she desperately wanted June to have sent her a pinky finger instead of the ring finger. Ooh. I never thought of it that way. No? No. Didn't we talk about it? I don't remember. We did? Okay. A little, I mean, like, maybe not exactly in those birds, but we talked about the fact that I think we talked about it, at least I was referencing it in the sense that, like, I was confused about what finger it was because yeah. that's oh, how okay. I took oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was, okay, like, she that. sent yeah. the pinky in that gesture. Yeah. And then when I was, like, ring finger, I was like, oh, shit, it's that gesture. So, like, yeah, we talked about it in my own perception. Mm-hmm. So I'm oh, okay. All right. Putting all right. that yeah. on Serena's, it's the same thing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Serena grabs the gun, says, you, got, you have to let me do it. And Serena, t- like, instructs June to pray. I love June's response. <laughs> what is Serena supposed to do with that? It was perfect. <laughs> I pray for our children. I pray that our daughters live a life of peace with all, without all of this hate and violence. But I love before that, she goes, for God's sake, Serena. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. This actually. 
actually, this was the moment that I was slightly scared for June because I was pretty much like, okay, Serena definitely sees that if she shoots June, she's basically shooting herself. Like, mm-hmm. she has to see this at this point. And so I'm like, she is not going to shoot her. She's not going to shoot her. Mm-hmm. And But then I'm like so terrified because June is just so, they're both so antagonizing to each other. And we've seen June has like no fear of a gun being pointed at her face. Not like, at all. Exactly. And so at this I'm like, point. oh my God, she's going to take this opportunity to be like, fuck you again, Serena. And I'm like, and then Serena's going to shoot her in the face and we're all going to be surprised. <laughs> Can you imagine them if they, like, genuinely, if they offed June in episode six? What? Be insane. I, you know what? Okay, insane. if that were to it's happen, such a wild way, yeah. I would not even know what to do with that. I, they, I can explain away fucking anything, but if that were to happen, I'd be like, I. Would you see that coming? I'm throwing up my hands and we're done with this podcast. I don't know what to do anymore. Sluts, it would be the same. But realistically, we have said this. If we've said it once, we have said it umpteen times. This is not the Gilead tale. This is not the handmaid's apostrophe tale. It is the handmade apostrophe S's tale. So if they kill off June, end of podcast. Dunzo. (laughs) Well, we saw all through the first half of the season that Serena was turning into a handmaid. So the handmaid's tale could just be turning yeah, into that, that tale. <laughs> we know it doesn't really matter who it is. Of of Offred is then of Joseph, who's then somebody else. It doesn't matter. Bruce, we so, have questions for you. The handmaid's tale. I was very... Wait, for a somebody moment, break down the like questions it. before we forget. <laughs> it's basically, I just didn't trust June in that situation to survive. It's <laughs> like, this is not going to go well. But I did love her speech. Her final, her prayer was perfect. Okay. When exactly do you think Serena got the idea to take June and split? Is it like literally in this like very last like interaction where June says, okay, I'm going to pray. This is the thing. Like when was this all along, do you think? No. Or was it just in this, the moment of this prayer? I think it was. I think the idea came to a full fruition when she was in the parlor with um with Wheeler. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And Wheeler said That's what I that was we have too. June Osborne. She's in no man's land. You will ne- you and your family will never have to worry about her and your hu- her husband again. And you see the turn in her face and you see both the fear, the like trepidation, the joy, like all of these like emotions that are just boiling over. Mm-hmm. And then she says, I want to see it. I need to be there for it. Serena is a wild card. She did the same exact thing to us in season three. It's season three shit again. Yeah. Like when she was um, talking to Fred about the possibility of, uh, you know, like defecting to Canada and whatever mm-hmm. verbiage she was using. And she was trying to, I remember you specifically said, Marjorie, like she was trying to like move the point and she was like invading his yes. space at the mm-hmm. desk when she was telling him about that. Mm-hmm. It's the same same kind of thing. You don't really know what she's doing until all of a sudden she does it. And you're like, Serena, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get to see June's planning and June's thought process. Yeah. Serena mm-hmm. thought process. Serena just comes out of this shit out of nowhere. Well, yeah. I mean, Serena, June says the same thing as she's like getting chased or escorted to the yeah. car and told to drive. And she said, Serena, what the fuck are you doing? That's yeah, exactly yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, Damn it, what? What <laughs> now? Exactly. June mm-hmm. just wants to be so done with this bitch. She wants to be so done with this bitch, but she's not going to be. Nope. There was a wonderful mirror. <laughs> together. Yeah. It, yep. it shall perpetually be the uh, the June and uh, the June and Serena show. 
they're together. Loved this moment, though, like when June um, is like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like Ezra goes down. He's, of course, wearing a bulletproof vest because, of course, he is. Serena, aim for the neck. Head, knee, Head, neck, something. That's anything. not the center of the body in this particular scenario. Fine, but how do we know she wasn't aiming for somewhere else? Oh, that's true. true. She's she aiming for the Actually, we don't really see Serena for the guns labor. off. She yeah. could be having a contraction. Let's just be happy she didn't accidentally shoot June in the face. That's okay, true. Yeah, you're right. Um, but you have Ezra, who is what, or when Serena first got into the car and is looking in the rearview mirror at Serena concernedly. And then you have when... June and Serena pile back into the car and June looks in the rearview mirror at Serena concernedly and then a gun is in the rearview mirror as well so it's okay cool we're just gonna drive and oh I'm sorry Serena's in labor in an extremely stressful getaway situation in the middle of nowhere (laughs) where they're not supposed to be have we seen this before we you know this does seem slightly familiar I don't know if it's one of those everything that's old is new again sort of situations. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's more of a chickens coming home to roost ah. kind of situation. Or is it an abandoned house situation where we're going to find Serena giving Ara giving birth in the middle of nowhere with it, no medical uh, assistance whatsoever? Do you think we'll see a wolf here too? <laughs> Could be. Mm. Never no know. way. Of, no way of knowing. We'll just have to wait and see. We'll just have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all I have to say about that. Did they finish up with a song for this episode? No. Mm. No, it was a uh, silence during the credit roll. Mm. Um, in any event, though, this entire episode had lots of ups and downs. Esther admitting she had been raped. Aunt Lydia coping with that fact. Putnam's brains getting splattered everywhere. Which, bye, Warren Jeffs. Oh, cool. Goodbye. Beautiful imagery, by the way, of him collapsing between the angel's wings. Mm-hmm. Right, that, that overhead. That was <sighs> really nice. Yeah. So wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Rose is pregnant. Nick is, ba- or I'm sorry, Luke is back across the border at this point because he is a legal, uh, re- uh, because he's a legal uh, Canadian refugee. Um, I just remembered something that we definitely have to talk about. Go for yeah. it. Um Scarlett and I had referenced it, I think, in the Patreon video. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was on the podcast. Maybe it was. Um, yes, it was definitely in the Patreon video. This was potentially the payoff or the payback or the thing that Serena owed June. Remember, Serena? Yes. We, we've been talking about this for oh, since season my God. three. That we've been waiting. Has it happened? Will it happen? There is this thing that we've been wondering about. And is it like one of these minor things? Yeah. Or is, mm-hmm. You know, but Serena does did owe June for facilitating the phone call or for facilitating the meeting of Hannah in Canada. We couldn't remember which one it was. Nicole in Canada. One of those things. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, oh, Hannah. Um, Nicole. Um, so, yeah, I think that. Do you think this was it? This this would, came back. This counts. I, I would say this counts. This yeah, is yeah we got it. Yeah, wow. this counts. My God, we've been talking about that for fucking two yeah. seasons so already. This yeah. is the payoff. Yes. Agreed entirely. Wow. So nice to oh see a payoff. Oh my God, we got it. Oh, that makes that makes sense now. All right. I'm I feel so good about all of this now. <laughs> you know what I feel good about? Is how dense this episode was. So many things happened. All the things. I'm absolutely delighted to see where our Thelma and Louise go from here. <laughs> oh, that's so great. 
God, how gratifying though. Um, but you know, I love, love, love that you're bringing that home to roost though, is that this was the payback. Word. Feels like it to me. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, at this point, this is, this is a debt repaid. Yeah. So now, will the two of them work kindly with each other to, uh, to secure their own survivals or will one pay out the, or will one, um, undercut the other? Or will they both just perish? Or will Ezra catch up to them? Maybe it's both. Maybe it's everything. (gasps) (gasps) Only one way to find out. Next week. Yeah, stay tuned next week. Because I think we're over and out here, right? Yeah. Over and out. All right. Well, peace out, Cub Scouts. We'll see you again next week for episode seven. Don't let the bastards grind you down. Bye. Bye. Love us. Hate us. Either way, let us know. We appreciate feedback from intels and incels. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can just shoot us an email at redresistancepodcast at gmail.com. We'd like to give special thanks to Mr. Scarlett for making our podcast sound amazing. Without him, we'd be all fuzz and echoes. We'd also like to give a shout-out to Peter Levesque of Heliovox for providing us with our badass intro and outro music. Thank you for listening, and try not to let the bastards grind you down.